Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and today we're talking about maps. So we are called Telegeography for a reason. In fact, as I have gone around the world and meet people, if they only know telegeography for one thing, it is inevitably our maps. Today's episode is all about the maps that you might have seen hanging in telecom folks' offices and homes all around the world. Specifically, we're going to focus on our flagship map, the 2023 submarine cable map, that we are currently releasing along with our partners from Telecom Egypt. So we thank them for sponsoring this and other maps that they've sponsored in the past. To give you the full picture of how we go from survey to that beautiful wall hanging that you might well have seen, I'm going to have on the show two of my colleagues. I'll talk to research analyst Lane Burdett, who collects a lot of the data that gets onto the map. And then after that, we'll talk to our head designer and cartographer, Larry Larison, who makes the maps beautiful that you want to hang up on your wall. So first, Lane and I discuss the data that we collect for the map or even various versions of our maps because they get different levels of data, how we go about getting those data, and what is new for 2023. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Lane. Hi, good to be here. Excellent. So the reason that I brought you on today is because, uh, little known fact, telegeography makes maps. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, it is true um, that as as I go around talking to people about telegeography, that is almost always if they've heard of us a little bit, it's from seeing a submarine cable wall map on someone's office in a, a, a boardroom somewhere, something like that, every telecom around the world has our map sitting there, which is really cool, right? And it is the way that people primarily sort of think of us and know that we exist. But behind that map is a lot of, you know, gumshoe research, right? So that's what we have you here for. Can you just tell us what you do at Telegeography and, um, and how you got into that? first comment here is, you know, I actually found telegeography through the map myself. That's, that's, I mean, perfect for this episode. So, oh yeah. yeah. I was a uh, researcher in grad school and I kind of just gotten into the telecom side of things. I was studying the geopolitics of internet infrastructure uh, and I started seeing telegeography's name pop up more and more in the research. Mm-hmm. And I started looking for a summer internship and I thought, you know, maybe these guys have an opportunity. And I ended up working under John on the data center side of things. Right. Then after I graduated, I started here full time. Uh, I specialize in sub cables and on the data center side of things still as well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So you are one of the people who is behind making the map. Where I'm going to talk later in the show with Larry, who is the, mm-hmm. the cartographer. But it's a lot more than just designing a map. It's all these important data that inform what we put on the map. So why don't you sort of take us through that process? So how do we put together these maps that everyone knows? What do we do? Probably number one thing we do is that we survey operators. Mm -hmm. So I spend a chunk of my time reaching out to companies and our contacts there 
uh, sending them maybe the profiles we have for cables now and saying, is this information accurate? Is this as up-to-date as possible? What more can you tell us about the system's capacity? Uh, any new plans you're thinking of? Things like that. That's the really exciting stuff. Always. Right? So what's new? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so we survey folks. Uh, I spend a chunk of my time doing open source stuff. So mm. maybe I'm on, you know, some kind of new site doing whatever I come across, maybe a mention of a cable that's not currently on our map. So I will deep dive into that system uh, and spend a couple hours or more, uh, perhaps in multiple languages as much as I can. Wow. All right. Oh, Google Translate's a great friend to the subcable researcher. Do you speak any other languages, Lane? Uh, a little Spanish. I can read Spanish. Portuguese and stuff too. Bastante. But, um, oh yeah, so I would deep dive into the cable system, get as mm -hmm. much as I can. Uh, maybe contact our regional analyst, whoever's maybe has the best connections in right. that area of the world. And they might reach out to the operator and say, hey, can you confirm uh, what lanes dug up on this cable system for us? And that's how we find the new ones. And my favorite are the little ones. Mm -hmm. I like the little bitty cables that we don't have yet. I want to get those on there. So I actually have a question about this that, that I don't know the answer to because I don't really work on this project. Do we track any domestic only cables oh, in yeah. our mapping system? Okay, so yes. what, what would be an example of some of those? Um, I just spent two days last month adding the data for a cable called Connected Coast. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, oh, this new project kind of up the coast of Canada on the west side by Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And they have just a ton of landings of these really small towns. And a lot of their landings are actually seem to be at lighthouses um, and just tiny places that aren't inhabited by that many people. And it's so cool to be able to get systems like that on the map. Well, that, I mean, that makes sense. Lighthouses need data. So they're probably collecting a lot of data, weather stations and stuff like that. Yeah. But also that they can, you know, make sure they're on the latest TikToks and stuff. You know? It's a good relay point. Yeah. If nothing else, <laughs> lighthouse operators need entertainment as well. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I saw that movie, uh, the Robert Eggers movie about a lighthouse. It was really scary. Yes. Um, <laughs> Excellent. So we, we've talked to Alan, your boss, uh -huh. on the show before about sort of the importance of submarine cables and all about, you know, sort of what they actually are. Oh, we like them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but but why, why is this map that we generate that everyone likes so much, why is it so popular? Why is it useful? There's not very many resources available where you can really visualize what this network looks like, mm -hmm. you know, with a with a reasonable degree of confidence, you know, and be able to say, I know that the world is interlaced with these submarine systems, but what does that look like? What communities maybe have an abundance of submarine cables? Where aren't they yet? Mm -hmm. What are the trends for this type of thing? There's no, uh, at least on, on the sub cable side, it's really hard to consolidate that information and find one place where you can see a lot from all these different people at once. Right. And our map does that. So to be the, the clearinghouse of all things, yes. sub cable sort of, um, you mentioned you discovered telegeography in grad school. What were you studying again? Sorry. I was studying international affairs. International and, affairs. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So so a, a related field to sort of geography and, oh, and, yeah. and what we do here. In light of that, can you tell us, Lane, the way that you think of it? Why are submarine cables where they are? Ooh. Yeah. That's a loaded question. Uh, well, this is something I think about a lot. So. Oh, no, no. I, I, I also think about it. Yeah. Why submarine cables are located where they are. I think a lot of it goes back to the undersea telegraph lines. Mm -hmm. And you go back through the history and you can look at different like colonial networks. It's my, you know, soapbox, right, right. Uh, for 
you know, some of the original undersea telegraph networks in like the 1850s, whatever, mm-hmm. those were built out to connect Great Britain to its colonies. Right. Right. And then as the, uh, you know, balance of power in the world shifted and different uh, technologies developed, you've seen a lot of that emphasis go over towards the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, the U.S.'s centrality in global networks, I'm sure Alan's talked about this, other people yeah. have as well. It's not as big as it used to be. It's still quite large. We, we have this so frustrating but frequently quoted stat that 70% of internet traffic goes through Ashburn. Not true. Not even remotely <laughs> true. Oh, yeah. But it's still a lot. Right? Yeah, know? it's yeah. a lot. But... Yeah. Well, and, and to your point, I mean, I'm looking at our map on the wall here. Uh, right? That's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it certainly visually looks like the um, northeastern United States to United Kingdom slash Northern Europe route yeah. is still the most heavily sub-cabled. Is that accurate? Heavily sub-cabled is an interesting word there. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm looking visually well, at, uh, there, there's there's different ways one could parse this, right? Some of those cables are older, so they may not yes. have the same potential capacity. Yes. But I assume there's more capacity on transatlantic still than everywhere the else, right? Transatlantic is going to have the largest amount of international mm-hmm. traffic, yes. Right. The amount to which a certain area is cabled or has cabled, that's going to really vary. Right. Uh, so I won't. I don't know about that one in particular, but in terms of usage, it's absolutely massive. And mm-hmm. that's where you see a lot of the content providers as well are going to be sending kind of their uh, right. data center compute. Yeah, because, you know, so, something uh, your erstwhile uh, boss when you, when you were working here as, as an intern on the data centers, John Yambo and I noticed many years ago was that if you overlay uh, shipping, as in physical ships, uh, maps with submarine cable maps, and there are there are maps of, of prominent shipping routes. Mm-hmm. It's pretty dang close, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, where are global economies? Right, right. Where is the most efficient way to pass between two countries or two major cities? Right, because That's it's not be it's similar. not just the data gravity model of like population and GDP and that whatnot, but there's th- these are physical things yes. that it would be logical that they would follow a similar path. And they need to connect yeah. uh, beyond just like to a major city mm-hmm. to a place that is ideally like a, uh, a good, strong data ecosystem, right? You need the right. supporting infrastructure of IXs and data centers and mm-hmm. what have you. Uh, and that's where you get the idea of being a, being a hub or whatever. Comes right. Into play. Yes. Although to my earlier point, interesting fact, right? That Ashburn is arguably certainly in the top four of important internet hubs in the world, but mm-hmm. very few submarine cables landed in the mid Atlantic until recently. Right. Mm-hmm. So are there's a, are there, are there more than one now? I'm squinting the map. This is not my area, but yeah. <laughs> there's a, yeah. there's a couple new cables coming mm-hmm. into the U S West coast or East coast. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I mean, there's, there's more convenient places for them to come in. Right. There's right. more established routes mm-hmm. in these, uh, I think it was in like Nicole Staryelsky's book, uh, Undersea Network, where she talked about mm-hmm. how cable operators are risk adverse mm, or, you know, course. in terms yeah. of maybe not the operators so much as the cable the designers and planning right. side of things, right? You want to go where cables have gone before, where mm-hmm. you know what the potential for faults is going to be, right. you know, the you know, seismic risks or what have mm-hmm. you and everything there. Yeah, that, that is something I talked about with Alan, but sort of worth highlighting again, since there's a lot of public misconceptions about that, that um, it's almost never sharks. Oh, <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to get to sharks. <laughs> but it is uh, what seismic and, and anchors pretty much are what takes cables out, right? So. Yeah, 
accidental interaction with people. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the worst. Is, that uh, is fishing, the worst for dredging. everything on earth. Right? I know. It's all, yeah. all we can do is to avoid each other. Yeah. But uh, fishermen, accidentally, that's gonna, number one. And right. then natural damage. Mm-hmm. It can be anything. Undersea volcano, you know, undersea mudslide. I can see how that's very uh, destructive, certainly. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, you mentioned this before that you're always staying on top through the data that we gather from the providers of what's going on in the world. We're printing this 2023 map now um, that is is available. What is new on it? So I should Ooh. say back at my house and my home office, I have our 2015 map, I think. And I mean, that's starting to get really long in the tooth, isn't it? Right. So, so you don't have to go back that far, but just over the last couple of years, what interesting developments have there been? Yeah. New map, new cables. Right. So of Mm -hmm. course you're going to have more of those. I think it's 40 more systems have been added. Both 40. Well, I don't mean in service here. I mean the number of cables on our map in service and plans from 2022 to 2023 is like 40 higher. That, yeah. that, I mean, that's, that's, I, I would not have guessed that. And I've, I've been around this kind of information for a long yes. time. So that's yes. a lot. Is, is there a bit of a boom going on? How does that compare to, to previous years? There's a lot of investment happening right mm-hmm. now in the sub cable industry. Right. I think it's like 4 billion mm-hmm. 2023, maybe wow. the same for 2024 plans. Yeah. It's high. Uh, part of that in, in terms of why there are more cables mm-hmm. going on, there's going to be a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one is that the amount of demand we're putting on these systems is higher. I've, I've heard the internet is pretty popular. Yes. So. <laughs> People seem to like yeah. it. Yeah. They want to use it. And there was that whole COVID thing. Did, did, do you think that drove it? First, what, I assume there was a slowdown during the sort of COVID period, chip Mageddon and all those kinds of things, just supply chain issues. Is, mm-hmm. is part of it just a, a boomerang effect of, of picking up the slack that we might have lost during those years? Some of it, sure. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's just the same trends we've been seeing for some time. Mm-hmm. So there's always submarine cable development, basically. Well, like, the uh, thing about international bandwidth usage, right? Mm-hmm. The growth rate on that for yeah. a while, it was hovering about 40%. It's actually a little lower now. It's at 35%. But at much larger real numbers. So, when, yeah, yeah, when you think about the uh, you know exponential growth there, it's still doubling Yeah, uh, every amazing. two to three years. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just absolutely massive. And then you combine that with uh, you know all, some of these secondary factors, right? Like we're coming up against some more technological limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hitting, you know, getting close to the Shannon limit. We're getting close to other things right. where you can't just upgrade systems that are already in the water mm-hmm. in order to get the amount of bandwidth you need to fulfill these international needs. Right. So what do you do? You put Build more cables more. in the water, yeah. more fiber pairs, what can you, whatever. So there's that. It's also, it's 2023. Some of these cables are going to be out of service soon, I assume, right? Yep. So, so some of the ones that we have on our map are mm-hmm. not long for this world. Is that true? The uh, dot-com boom bus right. river era cables, right. those are about done. Right around well, the age depending, of... depending. Yeah, yes. right. So, the, so the shelf life is something like in the 20 to 25 year zone. Is that right? Yes. The engineering lifespan of sub cable is going to be about 25 years. Mm-hmm. The economic lifespan of sub cable is different than that. Ah, interesting. Explain that. So... There's a lot of reasons you might keep a cable active longer than mm-hmm. 25 years, and there's a lot of reasons you might end it sooner than that. Mm-hmm. You know that it's going to be, you know, service can last 25 years. It can stretch longer than that. And right. say 
it's an old cable with not that much capacity that's connecting to an island with not a ton of people on it. Mm -hmm. That capacity might still be enough to serve the needs of those folks. And if you can make some kind of business case for keeping that or you're getting enough government subsidy, you might keep that cable in service for longer than the 25 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, um, say you're a cable on a really major route, Right. right? If you don't have as much capacity, maybe you're not able to make quite as much money. Uh, and the economic case be, for having a lower capacity cable that's older, it's a lot harder to make. Right. And, so, and you might not, even if you technically could, you wouldn't necessarily put investment of all new equipment, say, with, with better transmission rates on an older cable like that, perhaps. Well, you're not able to do that as much anymore. Right. Anyway. Right. Yes. B- because of something physical about the, the way that we make fiber optics now i'm not an engineer all right gotcha all right yeah uh, no worries yeah oh yeah but you can't upgrade the or think about the wet right what's in the water right you're not gonna pull all that up and be like okay so we actually need more fiber pairs put it back down you know you can't squeeze those into the cable right right so at some point the slt is going to be as optimized as it can be Mm -hmm. given you know current technology and you're just not able to upgrade as much as we used to I see. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So that's why we have a new map every year. <laughs> oh, the cables change. This, yeah, this, oh, yeah. This is very dynamic market, and it's and it's always still important, you know, for someone like me thinking about how this affects the rest of networks to see what possibilities there are. And there's been a lot of really interesting new things that when when I was sort of more in the submarine cable game were were ideas in coed ideas now i see them on our map like directly connecting brazil to angola and stuff like that mm-hmm. that seemed kind of weird to me at the time but there it is real so that's pretty cool yeah, uh, yeah. i i love submarine cables yeah you know i get the i go to conferences and stuff and just walk up to people and they say well why are you here i, say, well, I love submarine cables <laughs> they get a kick out of it but I, I really genuinely do i think it's a it's really beautiful i can see that yeah. So one last thing I want to ask you about all of this is um, we've been talking a lot about the the physical maps that we produce. Mm-hmm. We have a digital version. I assume that one of the key differences is that it has more frequent updates, but oh, yes. is there a, what kind of data do we have in the digital version that might be different than the, the map, yeah. the wall map? So you can kind of think about the data we have on sub cables in almost like the three tiers, right? So you're gonna have like the print map, uh, that's a lot more static. Right. Of course, that's the prettiest one, right? I love it. I mean, that's the thing, it is lovely, yeah. Yes, that's the the annual update of that map. Right. Um, On there, you're gonna have the cable name, RFS date, you'll see the general path. The routes we used are stylized, so don't expect that to be the exact coordinates, but I'll show you city level information, where's the cable. Right, this is not GIS, this is, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Then the, Second layer, you're going to look at the online map. That's a submarinecablemap.com. Mm-hmm. Updated much more frequently. Mm-hmm. You're going to see the same or, you know, all the information from the previous plus, right? Uh, the ownership. <laughs> You'll of, also get. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the ownership. I should, I should do our commercials. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Yes. Uh, all right. So ownership, like, and by yes. that you mean like uh, the if cable it's consortium, operators. like, yes. or if it's. Google or whoever, mm-hmm. right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, we probably have the cost on there. Which does not show, I should say, because people have asked me this before, that does not show who is operating lit capacity on that cable. No, just we don't show that. who owns a stake in it, right? That. Yeah, yeah. that would be way too complex, right? So, yeah. Well, we can't. Yeah. That's, it gets a little more business confidential. Yes, exactly, <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. All right. So sorry, I interrupted your flow. What's next? Oh, yeah. I don't know anymore. Okay. <laughs> Online map. Yeah. I don't know. It's got all this good stuff. Oh, that's where it is. You can go through there and search. So, right. If you want to see all the cables connected to, I don't know, somewhere fun, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you put down our search bar, it'll pop up and it'll show you all of those systems and list them out. And it's really convenient. Right. And then you could like click on a particular mm-hmm. one and get its metadata or yes, whatever. Yeah. In our uh, published comments that we write up, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also search by RFS date. Right. Right. So the year. Ah, uh, so we can say what's coming online this year. Yes. For example. Or you can just search yeah. the word plant mm-hmm. on there and it'll mm-hmm. show you all the planned systems around the world and they'll pop up. And that's mm-hmm. great. Beyond the sub cable map, we also have what we give to our subscribers and that's going to be everything from the previous plus, mm. Right, that's the uh, capacity information that we also collect on the uh, cables for lit potential right. latency. Um, we do have the leases, uh, things like that. Gotcha. Something you said there made me think of of something that that people ask us often, which is they've heard a rumor about a submarine cable, and it's not on our map. So, mm-hmm. so when does the idea of a cable become real enough for us to actually put it on on the map, so to speak? Oh, that's tricky. Yeah. It's a, sometimes it can be a judgment call, but mm-hmm. we try to, we try to stick to some more, we try to standardize it as much as possible. It's like when we mm-hmm. know that the landings are fairly stable, you know, okay. it seems okay. very much like there is enough money to build this cable. This cable is going to happen and we have a reasonable idea of what its geography will look like, mm-hmm. you know, and then, uh, you know, on the data center side of things, we tend to load things into our systems when ground is broken when you break ground kind of when you start seeing this like concrete movement towards like this cable is definitely happening it's going to look about like this that's Mm -hmm. when we'll put it on our map so we don't always have every single system that we know of Mm -hmm. on the map i can think of a couple now that aren't right Mm -hmm. Uh, but so for that you'll have to talk to a telegraphy analyst and get their real insights oh always always. bring it back to sales (laughs) yeah that's right yeah but uh you know sometimes we have people reach out and they'll email oh whatever our yeah, sub cable and right. tell jar it's on the because on the there's map just somewhere. a public email there. Yeah, yeah yeah and they'll yeah. say hey you know we've heard about this cable or oh my favorite ones is when people just happen to live near a landing right and they're like oh <laughs> yeah. around the corner from me there's a sub cable i'm obsessed with that like i want mm. to take what they've given confirm it as much as i can talk to operators talk to whatever find government documents find like everything an army I can. of spies out there enjoying oh, our cable and anyone map, right? who yeah. finds a sub cable yeah email me Email mm-hmm. me anytime. I will. Alan's going to hate me for that. <laughs> you know? That's all right. Well, that's what I was going to say. Was, was I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> was um. So we we should drop some uh some URLs. Of course, people can always go to like blog.telegraphy.com. What? Where can they find the actual cable map? What's the? I think it's submarinecable.com. Submarinecablemap.com. Yeah. And if they want to keep up with you, you're on LinkedIn, I assume. Oh yeah. So very active on LinkedIn. <laughs> nice. That's good. Yeah, it can be fun. It's it's the the least uh, um, intrusive of the social medias, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to be able to put a yeah. face to the name, you know, yeah. all the research context we have. Yeah, and and I guess to your point, if if you hear anything about submarine cables, Lane wants to know. I do. So, yeah. yeah, hit me up. Yeah, excellent. Well, Lane, thanks so much for joining us. This was super fascinating, and and um, everybody should uh, take a, a look at the 2023 map. Give it a gander. Yeah, sponsored by <laughs> Telecom Egypt. Beautiful map. Um, I, I like this design. I'm going to talk to Larry next. Like I said, um, I, I like the vintage style one. Oh, so I love I'm, the vintage. Yeah, you're looking at the 2020 over there. That's my yeah. favorite. Yeah. That's on my wall. Yeah, Larry does a fantastic job.
Yeah, excellent. I'm looking forward to hearing that uh, about that too. So thanks for joining me, Lane. Thank you, Greg. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right. So we've heard from Lane about how we get the data. Now I want to talk to Larry about how we translate it into the beautiful wall maps that we're known for. Larry and I discuss his design process, different styles of maps and their relative strengths, and even a little bit about the printing process itself. As a longtime geography professional and nerd, I found this particularly fun, and I think you will too. Okay, welcome to the show, Larry. How you doing? Good. How are you? All right. So, so I'm I'm recording recording this in our DC office, and I, I recorded with Lane over in the workroom. You used to be in DC, Larry. So we worked, uh, you know, down the hall from each other for many years. But now you're up in Connecticut, right? That's right. Yeah, I worked in DC for eight or nine years, I think, before I, I uh, moved out and got a, a bit more space here in the country. Yeah. Wow. We're old. I mean, I did the same thing just in, in the Northern Virginia area, not all the way up there, but yeah. Cool. So Larry, why don't you tell us about uh, what you do at Telegeography and, and how you sort of uh, came to us? So I'm a designer here at Telegeography. Um, I'm responsible for all the printed wall maps that we publish every year, as well as our interactive maps, including uh, submarinecablemap.com. And I've been here for over a decade now. Um, yeah. And, and your background, so most of us, our backgrounds were in geography, uh, not so much more human and economic geography, often economics, international relations. Your background was, was, uh, design oriented, right? Like art. Design and fine art. Um, I don't have a background in, um, GIS <laughs> and geographic. Right. Right. It's just, um, learning on the job. Um, yeah. the, the initial, when I started here, my initial title was um, information designer. So mm -hmm. uh, that very quickly turned, um, started focusing more on uh, the cartographic uh, side of things. You know, that, that's always really interesting to me that, that a bunch of us have um, geography degrees and backgrounds and none of us do the actual cartography because <laughs> it's not, there's not a lot of geographers who do that anymore. It is really more of a, of a kind of design thing, right? So um, right. I think that's that's really interesting. So I talked to Lane about kind of the data that we're trying to represent, what it means, how we get it. OK, but then you get all that data in probably some, you know, Excel sheets or a SQL database or something and turn it into a beautiful map, which, as I mentioned with Lane, is really the primary way that a lot of people around the world know telegeography. So if I mention our name to someone, uh, that doesn't know us that well, they might be like, oh, well, I have, I have seen your maps around. So, so in a, a certain sense, Larry, you are the sort of force behind the way that the vast majority of the world uh, discovers telegeography or, or knows from us. So, so take us through that process of, of the infrastructure team might give you some data or whatever project we're working on. Specifically, we're talking about our 2023 submarine cable map here, but it could be anything. What do you do with it? How, how do you start? So the, the cable map, that's something that's updated year round. I mean, almost on a weekly basis, there are constantly right. changes to cables, new cables to add. Um, so I maintain 
like a master file that has all of the artwork for every cable that we track. And I checked this morning, there's well over 500 now. Mm -hmm. um, wow. All of those networks are drawn by hand. So I'm using mm -hmm. graphics software, mm -hmm. um, has a GIS plugin so I can import the data that um, Lane and the research team collect, all the landing point data, and right. then manually draw the segments between the points and then export that data for use um, on a new printed map or as the, the source for the um, interactive cable map. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, that, that brings me to one of the questions I had is that, that, that people ask us a lot. There, there's a sense in which there's a little bit of what you might call proper GIS data here, but more what we're showing is kind of an artistic interpretation. Obviously, submarine cables don't form neat little stacked lines like that in reality, right? So, so do we consider our maps kind of like a, a representation of the world, like a subway map, um, or uh, is it closer to a, a proper sort of cartographic exercise, something kind of in between those two extremes? It's a little in between. Like I said, we have um, landing point. We're using like city centroids for the landing points. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like proper, like geographic data. It's just right. the cables that are stylized. Um, right. And uh, it's for good reason. I mean, it makes the, the map much more legible. Like right. you said, everything is following a neat row. It's aligned to a grid. So you can follow the, a path of a cable pretty easily. Um, in the real world, these cables are crisscrossing each other. They're really mm -hmm. dense. Um, it would be a very difficult to read um, a map with the actual geographic um, paths. Yeah, there's there's a good balance here between uh, something that's uh, visually pleasing and and um, uh, understandable versus versus right. getting sort of if we saw real like spaghetti plots of, of where the cables or especially terrestrial networks actually are um, until you zoom into a scale of maybe a few meters, it really doesn't make sense at all, does it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. We have the submarine cable map that that has a kind of particular design, um, and as you said, that that gets updated frequently. But it's, I would guess, the printed maps where you get to have your sort of real fun and artistic flourish. Is that the case? Right, because they're they're not used um, as much as like a research tool. It's something that people are hanging on their walls, and they want it to be catching. Um, they want to, you know have it as like a backdrop on zoom calls like this. So, um, I do, I do every call. I was, I said this in the segment with Lane, but I have our, I think it's the 2015. Was that the last classic one you did with the, the, you know, sea creatures on it and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah. that's the one I still have up. I've really liked the 2023 one, which is a similar design. So I, I think I might change it out because it's getting pretty stale data wise. Right. So, yeah. And, and that's the thing we update it every year. So we're always trying to do something new. Um, mm -hmm. and publish the same looking printed map every year. I don't think people would buy it and they might you know, get bored with it. So, yeah, um, we add a few cables, but, but this is the enticing thing to say, okay, yeah, there's some new data on here, but it's also this whole new theme, right? So, yep. and where, where do you get the theme ideas? Is that driven by the sponsors of the map? So we have telecom Egypt sponsoring this year. Do, do you work with them in terms of like, or do they give you kind of artistic creative license? Uh, we have our creative license. Um, we, we obviously pass every, all of our ideas by the sponsor first, but mm -hmm. you know, the sponsors are always really good about being on board and um, 
uh, trusting our uh, design instincts. Um, but you know, every, we've always had a really positive reaction to um, our antique style maps. Um, so that's a theme that we return to a lot. Um, we just sort of like pick different eras, um, various years. So like this year, it's um, inspired by 16th century nautical charts. Um, so again, we have the sea monsters like you saw on the, the 2015 map, some ornate compass roses, rum line networks, all this, the things that you would see like on a 16th century map. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's been some other ones that, that went in the total opposite direction, right? That were kind of like futuristic style and stuff like that, right? Right. Yeah. We've done like a, like super modern, really pared down versions as well, just to like really highlight the cables and the networks with, you know, lots of inset maps showing details of areas that are you know, hard to, to discern on a global map, like Singapore or like in the UK. So. Mm -hmm. I see. So, so there's even extent to which the different stylistic choices might impact uh, how one perceives the data on the map. Even. Yeah. And, and what we choose to put on the map. So like this year, it being this nautical theme, we have data about, um, cable faults, um, mm -hmm. marine maintenance zones. Um, we have illustrations of cable ships, like real life cable ships, um, plotted around the map. So yeah, the, the, the overall theme really influences the content on the map as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Something I, I didn't talk about with Lane is, is that most of these, there's not just the, the global view of all of the submarine cables, but there's some kind of uh, data highlight, um, like a zoom, right? Um, yeah. How do you go about choosing uh, which regions get zoomed in on or data beyond beyond matching the sort of design theme? Is that something driven by uh, you and Marcus on, on the cartography side? Or is it something that the infrastructure data team says, hey, we want to focus on this, this piece of information? Um, it comes from us just reading um, our own products. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll read through uh, global bandwidth and see what's what's new. What is cool. it? Yeah. And then uh, pull out some things that I think are interesting and share them with the, the infrastructure team, Alan, uh, mostly and say, like, what do you think about putting this on the map? And uh, the answer is generally like, yeah, let's do it. That's really I had no idea. I think it's really funny that it, it comes from you just like reading what all the analysts wrote every year and seeing seeing kind of what pops out at you that's that's pretty cool yeah. just one last thing larry to just because i'm kind of curious about it because i've never been involved in this process at telegeography but sometimes uh sponsors will come to us for a a custom map like say uh, zoom in on a particular region or a particular topic um that they're interested in in focusing on how does that process go does that sort of um, hamper your design decision making a little bit, or um, do you find it easy to work with um, a, a particular focus that's driven by what a, a sponsor wants? Well, if, if it's a custom map, I, I find those to be um, really easy. I like working on those because the 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 client is in control of what the map. Right. right. So the the decisions aren't. Uh, yeah, there's no pressure on you to come up with something new and interesting. That yeah. That not, really, yeah. Not as much pressure, and I get to work with the new data set because it's always mm. plotting their network. Um, right, right. So usually we're sort of the the same kind of data collection that Telegraph is doing in a, in a custom map situation. They would be able to come and say, "Here's all of our network data, what we want to show about it, or whatnot." So you have like a, a new palette, if you will. 
exactly like here here's our pops here's our data centers here's some satellites um and it's just um you get to play with um plotting that data and visualizing that yeah yeah that's really cool so so when you were getting uh, your sort of fine arts degree did you ever think you would end up becoming a, a technology cartographer uh, not exactly, but I will say I did take some information design courses um, mm -hmm. in school and um, typography courses and all of that definitely right. um, translates to, to this. There's there's probably not that many information cartographers out there in the world, right? So, you know, IT cartographers, I should say. Yeah, cool. Excellent. All right. Well, that, that I mean, was really interesting for me, having looked at all these maps for so long to get to know a little bit more about uh, how they actually um, come to us. It's one last thing I'll ask, like we have the, the printed versions that people like to hang, get framed and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I know there's something special about like uh, th that process, too. Are you involved in, in the actual printing of the map? Do you get to like um, check on that process and, and choose what paper we use and stuff like that? Right. Yeah, we've we print um, on a high quality synthetic paper. So mm -hmm. folded maps um, are very sturdy. Um, they look nice framed. Um, and yeah, I get to fly out to to our printer in Milwaukee and uh, press check, which basically means make sure all the color looks as it does on print, as it does on the mm -hmm. screen, um, color match everything. So we put a lot of effort into printing a high quality product. This isn't just like a one-off on-demand printing sort of thing. Right, right. This is this is a uh, a map that you can can roll up and then unroll and, and put on your wall for years, as I have done. So yeah. Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Larry. I think that was really interesting for me to get a little bit of insight into that. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.